Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and for the truth that is found in it. God, thank you that you meticulously guided. Holy Spirit, you moved upon human authors to inspire these very words. You preserved these perfect words for generations upon generations that we together might be able to benefit from these words. Lord, I I know full and well that there is nothing that I can say, nothing that I could do in my own strength and my own power to inspire, to motivate, to comfort. But Holy Spirit, you are able to do all of that and so much more through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. So God, we ask in these holy moments, if you would move in spite of a sinful and foolish servant. God, that as we turn our hearts and our attention to your word, that you would speak to each heart, that you would teach us, that you would grow us and stretch us, that you would challenge us to step out of our comfort zone, Lord. Father, there's also those who are grieving, those who are discouraged. And I pray that as we read your word, as we study your word together, that you would encourage those who are discouraged, that you would comfort those who mourn, that they would be reminded of the hope that is found in you. It is the only hope we have in this life. Lord, you're capable of doing all this. We ask that you move in power as we turn our attention now to your holy and perfect word. We ask all these in the name, all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, whether it's printed or digital, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a copy of Scripture, that's okay. The words will be up on the screen. Or if you'd prefer, you can borrow a Bible from the back of the pew in front of you. If you happen to be visiting with us today and you don't own your own copy of God's Word, please, by all means, take one of those Bibles that's in the back of the pew there in front of you just as our gift to you. We'd love for you to take one and that be a gift from us to you. However you're accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the word of the Lord says, Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. These verses that we read this morning, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, are very closely tied and linked to what we looked at two weeks ago in chapter 4, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. In verses 13 through 18, if you still have your Bible, I want you to just look back with me. It's not going to be on the screen, but just look just the chapter before. Paul begins that section in verses 13 through 18 by saying, We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So these two sections are very closely related. Paul is dealing with things that have to do with the second coming of Christ. The specific issue that he deals with in verses 13 through 18 is almost singularly focused on what happens to people who have already died. That's what he means when he says those who have already gone to sleep. See, the Thessalonians began to think that if somebody died and Jesus had not come back yet, that they would miss out, that there would be something that happened. There was an uncertainty. There was a lack of information. And so Paul writes and says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to have all the information that you need. So then he goes into detail about what it will look like for those who have fallen asleep. He gives specificity when it comes to there will be a cry of command. There will be a voice of an archangel angel. There'll be the sound of a trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have passed away will be resurrected from the dead first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he ends that little section by saying, therefore, be be encouraging one another with these words. These are good words. You don't have to fear death because there is a resurrection coming. We also talked about how there is no pass go. There is no collect $200 like you would in Monopoly. There's no delay. When we pass away, we are reassured over and over again in Scripture that our last breath out on earth is followed immediately by our first breath in heaven. Heaven. And when he talks about this resurrection, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord will bring them with him. So when we pass away, we go to be with the Lord. Then he brings those who have fallen asleep with him, and they're reunited with their bodies. Now, what a lot of people do is they argue. All day long about that section from 13 to 18 and this section, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Because, as we've talked about, once you hit chapter 4, you get into the really hard application part of the letter. A lot of the stuff leading up to chapter 4 all had to do with theology, with thanksgiving, with all of these things that Paul says that are detailed things. But when he hits chapter 4, we are heavy on application. And over and again, he'll say, finally then, brothers, now concerning this other topic, but we don't want you to be uninformed. Therefore, these statements are transition statements. So as Paul makes these statements, as you'd, you'd take note in any other book, we're moving on to a new topic. And so a lot of scholars like to argue about whether chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, are still talking about the same thing that chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, are talking about. 
So there's this separation between this phrase that he uses. It seems like Paul transitions to another topic now concerning times and seasons. We didn't want to be uninformed about those who've fallen asleep. Now concerning times and seasons, we move to a new topic. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord. So there's this big dispute. Is the event talked about in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, is that, which is typically called some sort of rapture, is that the same thing as the day of the Lord? Or is the day of the Lord something completely different? Because as Paul talks about the day of the Lord, it kind of seems like maybe it's something different. It kind of seems like maybe it's the same thing. And I think the ambiguity is there on purpose. And so there's a lot of great reasoning for the fact that this could be two separate days, two separate events. A lot of people that do a lot of study about the end times think that there will be a rapture and then there will be a period of time after the rapture. Then after a seven year tribulation or a thousand year reign on earth of just absolute terror, then all of a sudden they'll come the day of the Lord. And there's a separate event from the rapture. Some people think that the rapture and the day of the Lord are one and the same. There's about 19 times that the phrase day of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament in, in the Old Testament and it's always in the minor prophets. So guys like Amos, they talk a lot about the day of the Lord. There's only about four times that the day of the Lord shows up in the New Testament. And so if you want me to give you the final word on whether or not the day of the Lord and the rapture are the same thing or not, I got nothing. You can make a really great argument for both. I have absolutely no idea. And then Paul really helps us out. He does fantastic. We don't want you to be uninformed, so we're going to give you detailed information about when the Lord comes back. There's going to be a cry of command. There'll be an archangel involved. There'll be a trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise. We'll meet him in the air. Woo! Details. I like it. But don't we just have a God who determines what we need to know and what we don't need to know? Is the day of the Lord and the rapture the same day? God says, Hey, you could spend a lot of time thinking about it, but honestly, you don't need to know. I say that because Paul's whole language changes. Everything that he says as he begins chapter 5, now concerning the times and the seasons, you don't need anything written to you. You don't need details about the times and the seasons. Don't worry yourself with when is this rapture going to take place? When is the day of the Lord going to take place? Is the rapture the same thing as the day of the Lord? Be ready for both and know that both are coming, whether they're separate or one in the same. This is where we get bogged down as church members. It is wonderful to study these things. It is wonderful to develop your own very strongly held opinion. But what we end up doing is we end up subdividing and creating categories. Unless you think that the day of the Lord and the rapture are two different things, then you are not a Christian. Unless you think the day of the Lord and the rapture are the same thing, then you are not a Christian. I have no idea what compels us as human beings to go to that place. You can believe that the day of the Lord and the rapture are two separate things, or you could believe that the day of the Lord and the rapture are one and the same, and you could come and sit in this church every day and sit somebody, by somebody who disagrees with you and worship week in and week out and never even have it come up in conversation. It's going to be okay. It's going to happen 
That's what Paul's focus is. Don't be concerned with the times and the seasons. You don't need anything written to you because you're aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All that he gives them as far as this description, as far as this information is, it's coming and it's going to come like a thief in the night. And, and you know, when I think about the day of the Lord, or the rapture happening like a thief in the night, I've always thought of like Matthew chapter 24. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Because when I think of a thief in the night, in the night as, I, as I have my whole life, let's look at chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 36. I've imagined this scene. When I read 1 Thessalonians 5, I immediately think about, visualize what's happening in Matthew 24. He says, verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Boy, that sounds familiar to what Paul says doesn't it? Don't concern yourself with the seasons and the times. Nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. I have no idea how that works because He and the Father are one. They're separate but the same, but not separate, but are separate. I have no idea how Jesus cannot know and the Father knows when we serve one triune God. Don't spend too much time on it. You'll give yourself a migraine. But I know it works and I know it's true because the Bible says it. But the Father only, for as, were in the, for as were in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now we have another phrase altogether. The coming of the Son of Man. Is that the day of judgment? Is that the rapture? Is it all the same? You see where you could fall down this rabbit hole and be lost for a very long time. The coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Like a thief in the night, right? Then, this is what always comes to mind, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. This same metaphor, this same analogy of awake and asleep. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord, your Lord, is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is straight up telling us you're not going to be able to figure it out. God doesn't want us to be preparing for the day that he comes knowing exactly what day it is. He wants us to be prepared for the day that he comes because it could happen any day. And when I think of the day of the Lord, when I think of Christ's second return, not as a little bitty baby, but as a conquering king who steps out and breathes and all the forces of darkness are overwhelmed and overthrown, I think of these images. Two men in a field, one's taken, one's left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one's taken, one's left. They're working in the field. He's talking to his buddy. And he's like, hey, man, where do you want to go to lunch today? I was thinking that we should just try a pita, you know, maybe a falafel of some sort. I think that'll be good. What do you think? Joe? 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 Joe! I think they'll be grinding at the mill. We're talking about, can you believe that Susie did such and such? 
I just cannot believe that Sally would be seen with Susie after Susie's done such and such. Do you know what I mean, Ann? Do you, do you, Ann? Ann. And they're gone. I, I always think of that, boom, like lightning. It's gone. The suddenness of it. But see, I missed some nuances in always thinking about it that way. Because, see, I didn't have a family. But once I got a family, the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 took on a brand new meaning for me because a thief is a very bad thing. We talk about this analogy and we talk about the suddenness of it, but for so long in my life, I did not consider the fact that a thief breaking into your house is a really bad thing. Like it's the worst in the world that you wake up in the middle of the night and you heard a crash in your house. How many people wake up and go, oh boy, something's new, a noise I've, I've never heard before. I'm so excited. Maybe there's somebody breaking into our house. What a wonderful day. Now, you know, there are some people who are a little too happy to get an opportunity to use their firearm. Okay, we know these people and we love these people, but there are some people who may wake up and go, I'm ready for them. Let's do it. I'm excited. Somebody's busting in my house. I'm going to put them down. Look, hey. You know what? God bless you for being ready to protect your family. Good stuff, okay? That, that might be some people. But most of us, when we hear a bump in the night, we wake up and we go, ooh, ooh that wasn't good. I better go check it out. I'm not really excited about this. I might have to kill somebody. I don't know what's going to happen. They might kill me. Ooh, what are we going to do? Could just be me. Maybe I'm a weird, paranoid guy. I don't know. But a thief coming in the night is a bad thing for a majority of people. So Paul uses this analogy on purpose. He uses this analogy because for everybody who's not a believer, the day of the Lord does come like a thief in the night, and it is bad for them because they don't want to meet the thief. We're okay with the thief coming. We're okay with it being sudden if we believe in the Lord Jesus. We're okay with us out in the field working or at our job working or in a classroom teaching or wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and all of a sudden, boom, we're gone. Does anybody have a rapture check person? Does any, any, just show, by a raise of hand, do you have a rapture check person? Let me just encourage you to find a rapture check buddy. It's kind of like if you're going on a trip and you want to be on the buddy system and know that your buddy is safe and your buddy's keeping tabs on you. For example, if ever I can't find my wife or my children and I feel like, you know, there's all sorts of people just in the house and all of a sudden I'm thinking maybe the rapture happened and I got left behind, I call my grandmother. And if my grandmother answers the phone and she's still on earth, I know I'm okay. Rapture didn't happen. I just can't find my family. So you need a rapture check friend, that friend that you call when you think maybe you got left behind somehow you you had something not right with the Lord, okay? It's good to have a buddy. Buddy system, use it. So it comes like a thief in the night. There'll be people who just like in Noah's day, they'll be saying, there's peace, there's security. This reference to people, there'll be all sorts of non-believers. That word people is, is grouping and categorizing non-believers. There'll be all sorts of people who do not trust in the Lord who'll be saying, don't worry, guys, everything's safe. Everything is secure. And look, I, I don't care who they are. I don't care what party they represent. There is no peace and there is no security without Jesus. And, and so many times I think Christians, especially Christians in the South, get sucked up into the Republican Party's agenda, and we believe that there'll be peace and security if a Republican candidate is in the White House. 
I think there's a lot of people in the South that are Democrats and they're scared to say anything about it. And they think that if we could just get a Democrat in the White House, there'll be peace and security. Because what the world thinks is if a certain political party can be in the White House, if we can push through certain policies, then there will be peace and security. But all the way up until Jesus comes back, there's going to be people of this world depending on this world for peace and security. And they're going to declare to us, don't worry, you've got nothing to be afraid of. There's peace and security. While they're saying that, the labor pains will come upon them. You see, the people that are telling us their peace and security are the same people who have gotten to the point where we don't even wait on labor pains. You realize this analogy that Paul uses about labor pains hardly even applies to us anymore. Now, I'm going to try and tread very lightly because I am a male. I am biologically a male. I identify as a male. My pronouns are he, him. Okay, just in case anybody was wondering, I I don't think I have to identify that. The beard usually covers it. But I know that I've never experienced childbirth. So, ladies, I'm not I'm not trying to dig on y'all. This is not a statement to any one lady in the room. But in our society, we have gotten to the place where we don't like to wait on labor pains. We don't like to just say the baby's going to come when the baby comes before ultrasounds. I mean, you, you have to remember and think back or read a history book or whatever. They just kind of felt of the girl's tummy and was like, eh, you're about five months along. I mean, honest to goodness, they could feel of my tummy and probably be like mm, about six or seven months along. OK, I just need need to reduce the tummy a little bit. But that's all that they had. So you didn't have even a precise measurement of, well, you're exactly 36.5 weeks along. And once we reach 39 weeks, we're going to be very pleased. And if things just progress, it'll be just fine. And once we hit that 39-week mark, we're kind of hoping to get to 40. But if we don't, that's fine. Let's schedule a day to go ahead and bring you in. And then if, if labor pains haven't begun, we'll start you on the Pitocin drugs and all the, all the labor-inducing drugs so that we can go ahead and get this baby going and, and get labor started. And and Lord forbid that anybody experience the agony and the pain of pregnancy, right? So we spend a lot of time and energy and effort coming up with epidurals so that we can avoid the pain and the agony and just make the bottom half of our body just numb so that we don't have to feel the pain. That's why the analogy isn't quite as in touch as maybe it used to be because back when Paul was writing this, ladies, there wasn't nothing. (laughs) They wasn't nothing. They gave you something to bite on and hoped for the best, okay? There were no drugs to help you, and they didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. It was sudden. You might have been asleep. You might have been taking care of one of your other kids. Who knows what you were doing? But the labor pains, boom, they just hit you out of nowhere, and now it's time to have the baby, and this is going to be an excruciating process, but it's going to be worth it. And the same people that are saying, peace, security, these are the people going, oh, don't worry about labor pains we'll we'll just have a nice scheduled c-section you come in on this morning we'll take your baby and it'll be just fine again i am not insulting any person who's had a c-section my wife had three praise god for them all right they're great it's a wonderful medical marvel but i'm just telling you we have no concept of a sudden event that causes severe pain that's why we don't handle grief very well When something bad actually happens, it's so outside the norm, we don't know what to do. We've relied on the peace and security of the world for so long, we forgot how to find peace and security in Christ. 
Because we do everything we can to avoid any pain, anything sudden. It's got to be scheduled. It's got to be on our time. Folks, we determine when people are born. We try to determine when people die. We try to determine exactly what the climate's going to be like. We try to determine exactly what nations are going to do. We try to determine everything that we can so there are no surprises, so there is no pain. And I just want all of us to understand, in this world, there is no peace and security outside of Jesus. There's just not. Listen, I was having the most frightening conversation with Michael Barton the other day. He was taking me to get the rental van. And he talked about how, you know, the sun is capable of, and I trust Michael because he researches these things. The sun is capable of doing this little solar flare, just a little boop. And you know what it would do? It would fry everything electronic on the planet and break it all, all at the same time. Do you realize at any moment the sun, completely out of our control, could just go boop. And then all of our electronics, lights go out, we're back in the Stone Age, just like that. And we have no control over it. But it's okay. Because we got Jesus. That's what I'm trying to make sure we understand. There's no peace. There's no security. We can't guarantee that babies are going to be born healthy with no problems. We try to go in and and mess with genes and say, oh, they were going to be born with Downs. Well, we can go in and fix that so that they're born a normal baby. We have given up on trusting in God. What does that doctor say? What does this person say? Where's the peace and security? It's in Jesus, and that's the only place. We have to stop depending on anything and everything else giving us peace and security but Jesus. Because the people crying out peace and security are the people who are caught off guard by the fact that the thief comes in the night, and it's a bad thing. They're the children of darkness. That's how he continues We are the children of light, children of the day. We're not children of the night. We're not children of the darkness. We're not people of this world. We are Jesus' people. And that's the only place to have any reassurance or any hope. That's the only place to have any peace or any security is to trust that Jesus is coming back and to trust that He is real and to trust that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a perfect life, that He died the death that you and I deserved. He paid our penalty. And then instead of staying dead, God the Father raised Him from the dead. And because He lives, we know that one day we will live. So we have our house in order. We have our house ready because He's coming again and it's not a thief busting into our house it's our lord jesus welcoming us into the sky raising those who have already fallen asleep and it's going to be the most glorious and wonderful event and we're going to be excited and ready for it and we should encourage one another with these words that's the only encouragement that there is i can't give you encouragement that your retirement's going to be beautiful and great and keep growing i can't give you encouragement that your pension's going to last I can't give you encouragement that the fact that you're tenured as a teacher gives you security in your job. It doesn't. There's only peace and security in Jesus and in the fact that he's coming again. And so the only question that is worth answering is, is your house in order? Are you living as a child of the light so that when Jesus comes back, It's daytime for you because you're a child of the light and you welcome him and shout a praise and say, Woo! Come, Lord Jesus, come on! Or are you living in darkness? And when the day he comes back, 
he ends up being a thief busting into your house because you ain't ready. What's that day going to look like for you? I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to understand the reality that it's coming. And you can either be ready for it or you can be terrified by it. Those are the only two options. So this morning, where do you stand? Are you ready for it? Or have you started to depend on your job, your political party, the government of some kind, your phone, your car, your doctor, for your peace and security? Have you allowed the darkness to creep in and decided that you can have comfort and security from something on earth? Or are you living in the light, trusting that the only hope, the only encouragement, the only way to build one another up is to remind each other, That he's coming. He's going to wipe away every tear. And he's going to make every sad thing that we've ever known untrue. It's better than I can put into words, y'all. But if you're not ready for it, it's worse than I can ever put into words. Is your house ready? Are you ready for that day? Are you excited about that day? Where do you stand? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the encouragement you give us in your word. Lord, forgive me when I, I want to know answers that you don't give. Father, forgive me when there's things in your word that I want to know that you've deemed I don't need to know. Lord, forgive me when I, I've, I've taken the main thing and put it on the back burner. Father, please help me remember. Lord, help us remember that you're coming. And it's such a wonderful thing and the life that we will experience with you and in your presence is so far beyond and so much better than our experience here on earth. Lord, forgive us when we have relied on this world or any one aspect of this world for peace and security. Help us, dear Father, to lean on you and you alone. For peace that, honestly, Lord, just doesn't make sense. Peace that surpasses anything we could begin to imagine. Peace that we can't conjure up in our own mind. Security of knowing that we are in your hand and no one and no thing can snatch us out of the palm of your hand. Lord, let these be the truths that encourage us, that give us peace and security. Father, if there's anybody listening this morning to the sound of my voice that does not have peace and security in you because they don't trust in you, because they haven't given their life to you, I pray and I ask that they would submit and surrender themselves to you right now this morning. Lord, we ask that as we go into our time of response that you, Holy Spirit, would move on our hearts and that we would respond in obedience. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.